0: Verse 13, we're reading verse 13 of Matthew chapter 16, and I need to be brief today, don't I? All right. well, listen, it's been good this morning, hasn't it? Uh, my, my cup is full already, uh, listening to what God has done in other people's lives and uh, being challenged. Matthew 16, verse 13, though, very familiar passage to us. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, Philippi he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and some Jeremias, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon bar for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, That thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Just want to catch that phrase there, I will build my church. Lifegate Bible Baptist Church is his church. He is building his church. And we've heard testimonies this morning of what God has done. And you know, man can't do that in people's hearts. I appreciated Maya's testimony. You know, all the philosophies of psychiatry and so on, are empty by comparison to what God does in our lives and in our hearts. Because we were made for him. And this is his church and his place to work in our hearts and work in our lives and make us all that he would have us to be. And we need to look to him and depend upon him uh, to do it. I want to give us this morning just three thoughts, right? Three blessings of the church. And let me say this too. I don't want to go into a testimony right now, but... I got saved in this church as well. This church has uh, had a huge impact in my life. And there are three blessings that I've pulled out. We could go through a lot more, but we'll look at just three blessings briefly and talk about them for a few moments. Let's pray first. Father, would you bless us? Thank you, Lord, for the testimonies. Thank you, Lord, for uh, that challenging uh, video that we just saw. Lord, I do pray that you would bless us now through your word and that you would take this morning and that you would... Make a lasting impact upon our hearts. Help us, Lord. Uh, <clears throat> Spirit of God, take the word and weave it into our hearts. Show us where we need. Show us uh, where it can help us. And Lord, bless us through it. we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three blessings of the church. First one uh, we, we find <clears throat> in First Timothy uh, chapter 3 and verse 15. <clears throat> it's the pillar and ground of the church. That's pillar and ground of the truth. 1 right? Timothy 3.15 says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, that's a lofty aspiration for the church. But Paul doesn't make it an aspiration. He says it is the pillar and ground of the church, of the truth. That the church has the effect of being the pillar and ground of truth. The truth now, truth is very important to us. I, I don't think we can we, we can we can stretch as far as and as important as truth is to us. It's it's huge in our lives. Jesus said this. Uh, he said, "If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free." That, that's what Maya was talking about this morning. That's what these other testimonies are talking about. The fact that truth has impacted lives and changed them. The truth has the ability to make you free. And the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Somehow, the church's function, as far as truth is concerned, is to drive a stake in and to uphold truth and say, listen, this is it, and to hold it. That's an important function of the church. Now, we live in a dark day. We live in the last days. First Timothy four verse one says, "Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils." And all about us, what we see is we see a failure to stand by truth and stand for truth. We see a failure in people's lives. We see a failure in uh, in churches. We see a failure. All our, we see doctrines that are coming in that are being so, supported as the way people are supposed to live, and they don't work. I mean, doesn't your heart go out to that poor woman who's failed in her own marriage, but her job is to tell other people how to succeed in their marriages? Isn't, isn't that the way our world is, though? I mean, we have doctrines, we have philosophies that are put upon us, uh, and um, we're told, these, 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 this is going to help you. It doesn't help me, but, but I'm sure it'll help you. <clears throat> we have just, you know, seduction and deception in the mix, and, and truth has been put to one side. Now, here's where you're going to find truth. Here's where you're going to find all the truth that you need to live in this day and age. There's there's only one problem with the truth in this. this. It's not that it's hard to understand. Because it's not. You know what? The Spirit of God has been given to us to help us to understand the word of truth. The Spirit of God has been given to us to actually enable us to take it and apply it to our lives. What we find in our lives is an unwillingness to take truth and to apply it and to live it. And it has a terrible cost in our lives. You know one of the functions of the church is? One of the functions of the church is to open the book and say, thus saith the Lord. And you know, you may listen to other people and you may watch TV programs and you may listen to all kinds of rubbish out there, but then the book gets opened. And the book speaks to the issue in your life what God wants to say and you've got a choice to make either you take truth and you say yes and you apply it or what happens is you you, you let it slip by and Matthew chapter 7 <clears throat> uh, gives us that wonderful illustration of the man who built his house upon the rock and the man who built his house upon the sand and the man who built his house upon the rock was the person who took the word of God and acted upon it and you know what In the time of storm, his life stood. And the man who built his house upon the sand was the person who took the word of God, listened to it, but didn't act upon it. Built his house on sand, and and his life fell apart when the storm came. Now, that is the truth for you and I, and we need it. But remember, we have an enemy out there, and our enemy is a liar and a deceiver, and he wants to deceive us. He wants to get us somewhere off this book. It doesn't matter if it's close to this book. He wants to get us somewhere off this book. He wants to get us somewhere in the place where <clears throat> we take the truth and we look at the truth, but you know what? We don't really go by the truth. All those questions and all those, <clears throat> uh, you know, all those doubts that he can put in your mind is what he'll try to do. Listen, <clears throat> I thank the Lord for a church that's known for a stand on the truth. It's always been known like that. Lifegate Bible Baptist Church has always been known as a church that took a stand on the Word of God and that stood firm on the Word of God. We've been known for a lot of other things too, but that's been the one thing that people would say about us. Even our critics will actually say that about us. You know, many of them will say that you know, they stand on the Word of God, they stand on the, on the truth. Now, that is very important to us. Not what they think of us, but that we actually stand on the truth. Because when the truth begins to fail in the church, it impacts our lives. And our lives are affected by it. And none of us stand alone. The truth is important. It's important that you be under the truth. Now, <clears throat> the, the, the church then is a bulwark against the waves of deception uh, and <clears throat> that con- will continue to crash upon our society in the days to come. And the church, so the church is going to grow more and more different from society as time goes by. You, you really got to accept that. Now, you know, it's not like you know we're going to be able to take our beliefs and have society somehow accept them as being true. They, they're not. You know, we live in an age where there's going to be <clears throat> seducing spirits, inductions of devils out there, and the church is going to stand upon the truth, and we're going to be different. Now, I can preach what I like sometimes in the pulpit here. But unless you live it, unless it becomes real, unless it becomes important to you, we will lose it. Truth is important to us. Let me give you a couple of things you need to do. First of all, you need to love the truth. Now, in order for you to love the truth, you have to come to the place where you say, Well, I'm going to choose truth over me. I'm going to side with God over what I want. Love the truth. Make it important to you that you love it. Secondly, stand for truth. You are the light of the world. The light. You don't light a candle and hide it under a bushel. Stand for truth. Take the truth out and tell people what God has to say. You say, but they laugh at me, but they'll mock. Listen, they may well do, but they desperately need it. Stand for truth. And in the standing, something happens inside of you. You make it yours. It becomes real to you. <clears throat> Number three, speak the truth. Speak the truth of the word of God in your life. Find ways to bring it in. You know what? <clears throat> I was talking to a Buddhist guy recently right? and we were actually talking about uh, we got around to talking about the gospel but uh, before we got to talking about the gospel I was able to bring scripture into play in it and show a whole different uh, way of looking at it. Learn to bring scripture into play in your conversations. Be salt and light. You know, <clears throat> uh, have a word for people but bring, but listen, Truth is important. Stand for it. It's real. You know, it's so important to us, and, and this church needs to continue to be the pillar and ground of truth. You need to pray that God will always give you someone to stand behind this pulpit who will speak truth, unadulterated truth, no matter what, it, no matter what, what stir it causes, and it will cause more and more of a stir as time goes by when you speak truth. Society, I mean, uh, the clouds are rapidly gathering. That would shut down truth, because it's very inconvenient in this day and age. But what we need to do is we we need to pray that God will always give us a pulpit that the truth comes out for, no matter what it costs, because it's that important. Second thought is this, right? Second blessing is this. The church gives us a people to worship with a people to worship with. Um, John 4, 20, says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. You know, when Jesus told this woman, the woman thought in Samaria was the place where worship should be, but the Jews thought it was in Jerusalem. Though, and Jesus said, No, it's in Life Gate, and in all those other little places all around the world where people will worship me in spirit and in truth. That's where I want to be worshipped. That's what I want, the kind of worship I want. Now, you might say to me, but listen, Pastor, hang on a minute. You know, I I, I can actually worship out in the mountains. I can go out and I can worship. I can praise God. I can sing the hymns that we just sung out in the mountains. But there's something different about when you come together as a people, when we come together as a people to worship. Jesus said this. He said in John chapter 4, but they are come. sorry, in Matthew 18, verse 20, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. When we meet together, he says he's in the midst of us. There's something that actually happens that calls his presence into the picture. So it's not just a case of, you know, we're going to worship anywhere we like. Nor is it a case that we're going to worship any way we like. I talked about this in Sunday school. Uh, but, you know, much of what's considered to be worship uh, in our society is actually entertainment people come to church and they get entertained. They get to meet, made to feel happy. Uh, you know, they, <clears throat> they get whatever music they like and, and they get entertained. Now, listen, I think worship should make you feel good, but I think entertainment and worship are two totally different beasts completely. The difference is this. Worship is focused upon God. Worship is, I want to please Him. And in the pleasing of Him in worship, something happens inside of me. That's different from Us putting on a show here for you to make you feel happy when you go home. That's not worship. You could get the same thing as a concert, at a concert. You can get the same thing in the music of the world. Worship is focused upon Him, not focused upon man. We need to be careful of that. Because when we gather, God's eye is upon us. The Father seeketh such to worship Him. He looks down upon this gathering and he wants what's going on here. It's important to him. We need to make sure that what we're doing as a worshiping church is something that's pleasing to him. I don't. I think we could improve. I think there's a lot of things we could do to improve. But you know what? We don't need to go to an entertainment mode. We need to, with all our hearts to worship him. And worship is a thing of your heart. It's when you come to the place where you... In your pew are connecting with your heavenly Father in the midst of the church. The church provides a place for us to worship. The third thing the church does for us is it provides the fellowship of believers. Hebrews 10, verse 24 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What happens when we come together is we have fellowship. We spend time together. And it's not supposed to be, again, the idea of we come and get church. When I I was a kid, I got church every week. I learned how to pair 10 minutes off the beginning and 10 minutes off the end so I could go in, I could catch what was absolutely essential, and I was gone again, and I got church. I, I, I did the business. I I caught what I was supposed to get, you know. When we talk about church, we don't talk about you coming in and getting in that sense. It's you coming in and fellowshipping. Yes, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed by the singing. You're going to be blessed by the word. You're going to be blessed by other believers, but that's not your focus. Your focus is to come, to assemble together, to exhort one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, you see, what's implicit in that is the idea that as the day approaches, that's the day of his return. As the day of his return approaches, you know what, we're going to find the world getting darker and darker. We're going to find the world getting more wicked and more wicked. We're going to find the world, you know, becoming a, a, a much less comfortable place for truth. And you know what we need to do? We need to encourage one another. We need to exhort one another in the Lord. You need to put a hand on somebody's shoulder and encourage them to go on for God because it's hard out there. And we need to be focused upon that. We're going to take time to have food afterwards. That's the key of what we're trying to do. We're trying to give us an opportunity to fellowship, to encourage, to bless each other. Right? Some of you come on a Sunday morning and that's really the only time you hear what an opportunity we can actually encourage and fellowship each other. And take it beyond the walls of the church that we actually encourage each other and fellowship with each other because that's important to us. The church provides a place for Let me give you some of the things that would be included in fellowship. Right. <clears throat> First of all, be devoted to one another. Romans 12, verse 5. Second, honor one another. Romans 12, verse 10. Number three, rejoice with one another. Romans twelve fifteen. The church should be the least competitive place you know. We're to rejoice in each other's blessings, and we're to sorrow when each other sorrows. Nobody wins over anybody in this place. You know, when competitiveness comes in, what happens is that sweet fellowship goes out. We're supposed to have it be a place where we rejoice with one another. We're supposed to serve one another. We're supposed to carry one another's burdens. Uh, we're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to forgive one another. We're supposed to offer, offer hospitality one to another. We're supposed to confess our sins one to another. We're supposed to pray one for another. <clears throat> See, the church is like a family. Now, um, <clears throat> a family is a great place. It's a place where you can nurture children and protect them and care for them and, and they get to grow up. But it's not always like that. No family's perfect. No family gets it all right. No family has just... Got all of it right. We'd like to think sometimes, you know, that um uh, that there are there are perfect families out there, we just don't have it, but there are perfect families. That there are no perfect families. And there are no perfect churches. But you know what? An imperfect family is still necessary. An imperfect family is still essential to the raising of children. And you know what? The church, imperfect as it is, is essential to the nurturing of believers and the growing uh, of the Word of God in people's lives and in people's hearts. And you know what keeps families together? What keeps families together is not only love, because that's not always the predominant emotion in a family. What keeps families together is commitment. They're committed to one another, They're committed to this cause of raising a family. And so they they stick at it and they do it. Now now I'm going to make a very astute observation for you. The families that stay together, stay together. Now let me explain that to you, right? When families choose to stay together, something happens in them. When families choose that, they listen, they're going to make a commitment and they're going to be together and they're going to stay together and they're going to do the business of family, even when times are not good, after a while you look at them and you say, you know what? That works. It's not perfect, but it works. I think that's universally true. That when you choose to stay together and do all that you can uh, to make it work, God blesses and something happens in the marriage. You know what happens in the church? Exactly the same thing. When you choose to stay together and God's put you as part of a church and God's uh, made you part of a family and you choose to uh, be committed here and be part of it here and to be involved here and and to stay with it here in the tough times and in the uh, good times, but but you stay, what happens is you find, you know what? This is my family. I've been, been a member of four different churches over time. This one, by far the longest. We lived in different places, so we we're, we're, were members of uh, different churches. And I look back, I'm, I'm pastor here now 22 years. I've been involved with LifeGate Bible Baptist Church for 26, 27 years now. Oh, even more than that, right? Uh, for 30 years I've been involved with LifeGate Bible Baptist Church in one way or another uh, for all that time. And I cannot calculate the impact this church has had on my life. Now, I'd like to say to you, it has been such a sweet, beautiful place. It has always been a breeze and happy and wonderful. Nobody's ever said anything that's bothered me or offended me. Uh, I've, just, I've just floated on the clouds through the 30 years of my association with LifeGate Baptist Church. But I wouldn't want to lie to you from the pulpit, all right? Uh, <clears throat> but you know what? God has worked and consistently worked. I look at my family and the impact this church has had upon my family. And it's amazing. You see, there's something about this thing called the church that Jesus began all those years ago. That's that's very hard for us to really comprehend and get our minds around and fully understand. But when we commit ourselves to it, great things happen. When we come to the place where we say, this is my church, by God's grace, I am going to be here. I am going to be a part of it through thick and thin, through ups and downs, whatever happens, I am going to stay and I'm going to be a part of it. What we find is, we find that God steps into the picture and God begins to do things in our lives. Now let me close real quickly for you, right? Uh, so what do you do? Here we have the 34th anniversary of the church. What does it mean to you? Well, what's the next step for you? First of all, for some, the next step is to go from being a weekend attendee to being a committed member. You come on a Sunday morning and listen, thank God for you, and thank God for your involvement, but you say, now hang on a minute, there's more I want to have and there's more I want to give. And you commit yourself to it. You come to the place where you're going to get involved and you're going to be part of it, and it's going to be more than just a Sunday morning deal for you. Right? Secondly, for some, the next step of growth is finding a practical way to serve in the church, using your gifts to build up as people. How can I serve? What has God gifted me with that I can serve with, that I can help with, that I can be a blessing in the church? And then thirdly, for some, the next step is to renew your affection for the church. You're doing the right things, but you've lost sight of what you're doing, and it. You've lost your passion for serving and for biblical fellowship, and it's grown cold. Now, let me just help you with this. You know what? If two, two people in a marriage begin to grow cold in their hearts towards each other. It's a bad sign. Now, typically, it doesn't produce fruit the day it begins to happen. But choices and decisions are made, and after a while, they're a long way down the road. By the way, I don't think you're ever too far down the road in your marriage. If two people will work at it, God will bless. But people end up in in, in a bad place. But it starts way back. And Jesus said this about divorce. He said, for the hardness of your hearts. That's why it happens, because of the hardness of your hearts. Now, you know what happens in the church? You can harden your heart. You can start to harden your heart towards the church. You can start to get critical. You can start to look for faults. You can start to complain. And you'll find them. You'll find lots of things to criticize. You'll find lots of things to be upset about. But you know what's subtly happening? The enemy is subtly taking it and using it to drive a wedge between you and the church. When you see things that are not right, bring them up. If that doesn't work, pray about it. Let God have his way in the situation. But don't let your heart grow cold and grow hard. Because <clears throat> there's something about the church in the life of the believer that <clears throat> nothing else can replace. And when we let the enemy drive a wedge, we end up floundering and searching and seeking. Settle down. Make it yours. Dig in. Be a part of it. Pray for it. Pray for God's blessing and God's hand upon it, because without God's blessing and God's hand, it has no hope in this day and age. Look for the good things. Bless. Encourage. Bear one another's burdens. Strengthen. And you know what you'll find? It'll be a sweeter place for it. But it doesn't rest in somebody else's hand. It rests in your hands and in my hands. Our church will be what we make it to be. What are you making it to be? What are you making your church to be? Are you committed to it? Is it yours? Are you loving it? Are you seeking to sustain it and uphold it? I think God did something great 34 years ago when he started this church. And if Jesus tarries and I'm not sure that he will. But if Jesus tarries, you know what? I pray there's a church here 50 years from now. And the word's going forth and souls are getting saved. Might be meeting in this building. It might need a much bigger building than that. Um, but that's irrelevant to it. What is relevant is that there's a lighthouse. And there's the word going out. And each one of us collectively have a responsibility as far as that's concerned. Let's sustain what's here and pray for it and seek it and understand this is important, not just in our lives. This is important because he said, I will build my church. It's his church. He didn't own much of anything, but he vocally and strongly owned the church. Let's treat it as precious because it's his. Let's all stand for prayer. Father in heaven, would you help us this morning? Lord, we thank you for this church and thank you for the years and thank you for those that started it. Thank you for Pastor Zameski coming from the States and Lord, for pouring his life uh, into it, Lord, and for... Uh, the way you used him, Lord, to just ignite something that uh, started a, a group of people. Thank you for Pastor Moore and for his uh, ministry here over those years. And uh, Lord, we, we we thank you for the people that have come, and even for those that have gone over the years, Lord. We thank you for all of them, Lord. You were doing a work, and you were saving souls. And Lord, <clears throat> you have undertaken. And, Lord, we we come to you today. And, Lord, I thank you for this people that have gathered this morning who support and sustain and, uh, Lord, are involved. Uh, Lord, would you give us a deeper love for your church? Would you give us a deeper, deeper passion for your work? But, Lord, most of all, would you pour out upon us that blessing of revival? Oh, Spirit of God, that you would flow through this place. And, Lord, that you would touch everything and everyone in it. And, Lord, that you would melt our hearts in your presence. Now, Lord, bless us, we pray. Put your hand upon us. May this be a precious place and may this be a, a precious thing in our eyes, Lord, because you did it and it belongs to you. Bless us and may there be a church to stand here for years to come, preaching your word, a lighthouse for your name. In Jesus' precious name, amen.